one of the problems of having a, a really good worship team, having not just talent, but a heart for it, is that I get distracted over there and I forgot that I had to like put a microphone on and come up here and preach. <laughs> so if this is your first time here, my name's Adam. Uh, super excited you came today. If you came for the first time on a day that it snows, you get an extra gold star in heaven. So congratulations for that. Uh, it's Ohio. That probably shouldn't even count for us. We should be used to it by now. So uh, we're in a series called God in the Wild. Um, before we jump into that, though, I, I did want to make a quick little announcement. Here in just a couple weeks uh, is Easter, which is really exciting. So we have Easter service coming up. I think it's April 17th, which, like I said, I think that's three weeks away. So on your way out, we're going to hand uh, you uh, an Easter invite. So I just wanted to kind of challenge you to take that. We didn't want to hand it to you on your way in because what will happen is you'll sit on it the whole service and you'll leave it here and we'll find 50 of them and then you won't give it to anybody. So we're going to hand it to you on your way out. Don't put it like in the spot between your seat and your console in your car. Don't do that. I want you to take that thing. I want you to pray about who, who you give it to and really like make it a thing. Like say, hey, I'll sit next to you. I will come pick you up. I will buy you breakfast afterwards. We are not above bribes here. So just make it a thing because uh, Easter is one of those Sundays where typically people are more likely to say yes to. So, all right. Uh, Let's jump in here. The, the greatest pain in your life, the greatest pleasure in your life, the, the greatest confusion and the greatest fulfillment. Um, your favorite moments and your least favorite moments, your dreams and your nightmares, your deepest wounds and your highest ecstasy in your life. All of these things have one common denominator. People, right? People. People always play a role in our most powerful moments. Powerful good or powerful bad, powerful happy or powerful sad. Sorry, that was Dr. Seuss. I didn't mean, just now realized that. But if you could take a snapshot of all the pivotal, critical, like um, super significant moments in your life, there's always going to be in that picture people. People are going to be there. People are the best, worst thing on this planet, right? If you could remove people, you would take out some of the best things and some of the worst things that you experience in your life. So we're in a series right now called God in the Wild. And the, the, the gist of the series is we're talking about uh, these seasons of life that we Christians call uh, wilderness seasons. So you can be in this place that uh, we just kind of call it a wilderness. It feels like you're uh, out in a very barren place in your life. You feel lost. You feel lonely. You feel lacking. You feel listless. You feel lethargic. You are not living the life that you feel like God wants you to live. You're not feeling fulfilled in your day in, day out life. You are in a wilderness season. Uh, so what I want to talk about today is people in your wilderness experience. People. Uh, the series is called God in the Wild, but there are also people in the wild and people uh, make that wilderness experience even more complicated than it already is. So we're going to look at a story about a guy named Paul, pretty famous biblical character. Um, 
And here's, here's what happens. Paul in the wild, uh, and he runs into some people. Um, Paul is on his way to Rome. Uh, and Rome is where God wants Paul to be in his life. The reason Paul knows that Rome is where God wants Paul to be is because God told Paul that God wanted Paul in Rome. So Paul is on his way to Rome. A uh, fun little side note is that Paul actually is on his way to Rome in chains because he was arrested. And that's actually the way God's going to get him to Rome is they send him to Rome in chains to uh, appear before a trial uh, with Caesar. So he's on his way to the place where God wants him to go and a storm hits. A storm hits the boat and it's a bad one. Even the experienced sailors on board are nervous about this thing. Everybody thinks they're going to die except Paul because Paul knows God said, you're going to Rome. And Paul believes God when God says that. So uh, they hit the storm. It lasts for days. And then eventually the boat actually wrecks on some rocks. It hits an island and the waves break this thing apart. And Paul crawls ashore, gagging on salt water. Um, now he's in the wild. So to recap, he's going where God wanted him to go. A storm hits, sinks the boat uh, that was taking him to where God wants him to go. And he ends up on an island out of the storm into the wilderness, out of the storm into the wilderness. How many of you know that's, that's kind of the way it goes in your life where you have a storm, you have something that's, that's incredibly uh, intense and painful. And then you have the season after that usually is a wilderness, right? Ooh, the relationship ended, or I lost the job, or I hit a financial crisis, or I, I had uh, a sickness or an injury. And then comes the wilderness after that. That's usually the way it works, right? Out of a storm into the wilderness, and uh, I, I just want to keep emphasizing this as we go through this series. Um, God wanted him in Rome. I don't know how many times I've said that yet, but I really want you to know that God wanted him in Rome and he's on this island. So this, this wilderness experience, just like we talked about last week of you here, is kind of a, a detour off of where he ultimately knows God wants him to be. So um, the storm and the wilderness are, are, are not going in the direction that, that Paul ultimately wants to be, but Paul knows that God even works in the wilderness. God even works on those detours. So he's on an island. Here's what happens starting in uh, Acts 28 verse 2. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. So there are people on the island. There are people in this wilderness. And he says they're kind and he says they're welcoming. And I just want to point out in my observation, whenever I've been uh, like entered into a wilderness season in my life, at first, people are kind and friendly, right? You ever experienced that? When you first kind of hit a rough patch in your life, when you first get discouraged, when you first feel that purposelessness, that listlessness, that, that feeling like, oh, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. At first, people are there for you, man. They're, they're all about it. They're happy. They're welcoming. They, they want to be there for you in the wilderness. But if you've been in a wilderness before, you know that usually that doesn't last. That at first, they're very welcoming. And then they kind of have a timer in their head where they kind of decide, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Even though you're still there. Um, so they're welcoming. Now, before I read the next verse, what I want to do, I, what I always feel like is, is important when you're reading the Bible is to use your imagination. I really feel like God can work through your imagination to imagine like really what it would be like to be in this situation that Paul finds himself in. So I really want us to think about like his state as he's standing on this beach. Paul uh, was on a boat that had been 
in a storm for days. So he's probably not feeling great, right? I mean, this is up and down and back and forth. Like he's probably feeling terrible. Uh, This storm was nasty, hits some rocks and it breaks apart. Can you imagine how traumatic that would be to be on a boat that's, that's getting battered by waves to the point that the thing breaks to pieces. So Paul's, you know, looking around, he's grabbing a barrel or a piece of wood and he's kicking his way to shore and he crawls ashore in that state. He's soaking wet. He's tired, traumatized, hungry, not in Rome (laughs) where he's supposed to be, right? Not in the place where he believes God wants him. That's where he's at. Eyes still singing from the salt water, scrapes and bruises, stomach growling, muscles weak, shivering from the cold, rain beating down on him. The wilderness is tough. The wilderness is a tough place to be. So I just want you to imagine like what he would be feeling like that cold to the bone feeling, exhausted. But here's what he does. We just read that uh, the people in the wilderness are building this fire. Uh, well, what's going to happen is Paul's going to get up and he's going he's to help collect firewood. Now, minor detail in the story, but for me that was huge because I was trying to imagine what it would be like to be in that situation. And I got to tell you, if I saw people making a fire, I would like pretend to be like injured or like asleep while they were collecting firewood, right? Like, where's the fire going to be? I'm going to go lay down by that and let y'all make it because I'm tired. But Paul didn't. Paul gets up and collects firewood. And for me, that's like a Jesus decision there. Like I, 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 it's not in the story, but I just imagine that Paul had to pray about that. Like, all right, Lord, um, I'm not in Rome, <laughs> which is where I feel like you ultimately want me to be. But I also believe that while I'm on this island, you still want to do something with me. So uh, I want to show Jesus to these people. What's the best way I can show Jesus to these people? I want to be a servant. I want to be a servant because that's what Jesus was. So he wants to demonstrate uh, with his life, what Jesus did, which is what we're supposed to do as Christians, right? We're supposed to follow Jesus, we're supposed to live like Jesus. So he uh, chooses to get up and collect firewood. Even though he's like, not okay. Even though he just went through a traumatic experience, he still served. He still served. He still stepped into that. He didn't wait until he was okay. He didn't wait until uh, the, the trauma was over. He stepped into serving even in that. I think that's just an important point. So he gets up to collect firewood. And then this happens. I mean, this is, this is crazy. This is crazy what happens next. Verse three, as Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. <laughs> Can you imagine? Again, you guys got like, you know those places you get in your life where you're so frustrated and so done with everything and then one more thing happens? He's soaking wet. He just got done with a shipwreck. Um, he, he's having this conversation with God. All right, God, even though <laughs> all this stuff has happened, I still want to serve you. So, you know, I, I don't want to. I'm super tired and I'm super frustrated, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to serve even though I'm not in that place. So he gets up to do it. He starts throwing sticks onto the fire and bam, a snake attaches itself to his hand. He's got to be like, what? <laughs> really? This is where we're at now. And the, the other translations actually say that the, the snake like attached itself to him. It didn't like bite him and slither away. It like held on. So he's got a snake just hanging off of his arm as he was trying to serve in this state of being exhausted in the wilderness. <laughs> now, 
quick side note, and I, feel, I have to do this. this is, I'm compelled to do this. So I was a biology major in college, and it's just this little detail that I have to tell you about. Now, I've talked about this before, so if you like, have gone to Mosaic for an extended period of time, you remember this little fact that I'm going to give you here. It's, it's, for some of you, it's like the only thing you ever remember that I preached on ever. Um, so congratulations. Uh, but so in the classifications of uh, animals, there's a difference actually between poisonous and venomous. Did you know that? So there's a difference between poisonous and venomous. And the easiest way to remember it is um, with poisonous, if it, it's poisonous if you bite it and you die, that's poisonous. It's venomous if it bites you and you die. Okay, so that's just an easy way to remember it. If I bit into it and it kills me, it was poisonous. If it bit, bites into me and I die, it's venomous. So actually, this snake is not poisonous, it's venomous. And I know that's a weird little detail that I just had to tell you that because some of you are like, it, like the two of you that knew that already were like, oh, that's not right, <laughs> you know? Like unless Paul bit the snake, then he would be in trouble, um, which maybe he would have been tempted to bite the snake because it bit him. I don't know. Um, now, some of you maybe would go, oh no. Oh no, the Bible's wrong then. It says the wrong thing. It's not wrong. The classification of poisonous and venomous came after the writing of the book. So how could, how could uh, Luke, who wrote Acts, know that eventually they were going to decide that poisonous and venomous were these different classifications? You can't uh, fault them. If anything, it's the translator's fault uh, for not making it say uh, venomous. But more than likely, the translator was not a biology major in college and he did not care about this minor detail that I am still talking about. Um, so it was a venomous snake. Now, again, just you gotta, you gotta be with me here. I, I, I'm sorry for keep recapping. I just wanna keep this train that Paul is on. He gets arrested, he's going to Rome. Yes, Lord, that's where you want me. On the way, he gets hit by a storm. Okay, Lord, like this is where you want me to go. I'm still in a storm. Boat crashes, breaks apart. He's on the island that he doesn't wanna be on. And now he's, he's, he's got these physical things going on. He's got emotional things going on. He's got spiritual things going on. He tries to serve, gets bit by a snake. Here's where he's at, and believe it or not, it actually gets worse. Verse 4. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, let's help him, he's hurt. Nope, nope, look what they say. A murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. Whew, you got to be careful about people in the wilderness. You gotta be careful about people in the wilderness. Isn't it crazy how quick they turn from, ooh, let's help them to, oh, this dude's a murderer, right? I mean, they went from one to the other. This right here for me, uh, this is one of the things that makes those wilderness experiences just that much harder. When people start to assign reasons for why you're going through what you're going through. You're already going through it. You're already, you already have all this stuff going on. You already got the emotional, the spiritual, the physical, all this stuff. And now you got people talking about it. It's just another layer on top of what is already a difficult situation. It's hard, man. Going through that, again, he's got... And you, you, you know that. You know what this is like. You know what it's felt like before uh, to enter into a time in your life where it, those wilderness times, they almost feel like you, like you can't even keep going, right? Even just getting up in the morning can be kind of difficult thing. You're already struggling. You feel like you need 
people to be extra nice to you, not extra hard on you. And then, uh, so you're, you're going through it and then you get Nancy on Facebook who just decides to tell you why you're going through what you're going through, right? You don't even know Nancy, right? You get, you get Kevin over by the water cooler flapping his mouth about what you're going through. You get your friends going out to lunch, by the way, without you, having your problems as like an appetizer, right? You get your family, some of you, whispering about the things that are happening to you and coming up with all the reasons you're going through what you're going through. People, people make the wilderness just that much harder. So here's what I wanted to do with this sermon. I set out like back when we actually decided on this sermon series, um, I wanted this sermon to be all about Paul and from Paul's perspective and like how Paul felt in the wilderness and what to do with those people as they kind of come at you in the wilderness. But then as I was preparing it, (laughs) I realized that it's necessary. I don't want to, but it's necessary for us to look at it from both perspectives to actually look at it from the Islanders perspective as well. So we're going to look at what Paul experienced and going through the wilderness and how to handle people in that. But we're also going to look at it from the perspective of like having people in your life going through the wilderness and what, what we should and shouldn't do with that as well. Um, we got we to talk about the Islanders too. Uh, so we're going to look at both. We're going to start with the Islanders. We're going to end on Paul. I got to talk faster than I did in first service because we went way over. I still blame Jonathan. Um, so imagine being the Islander though. And I like, this is the thing. Sometimes in Bible stories, we, we have this tendency. I don't know if you do this too, but like we have this tendency in the Bible to kind of disassociate from like the bad guys in the story. Do you ever do that? Like, oh, Goliath, he's horrible. But like, um, sometimes the bad guys, the guys we need to learn from. Actually, can we be honest? More often than not, it's the bad guys we need to learn from. So here we usually like, oh, the Islanders were terrible people. But like, can we, can we put ourselves in their shoes? They just watched this shipwreck. They got a bunch of guys like swimming to shore. They're like, oh, we'll make them a fire. Wonder what these, wonder what their stories are. And then one of the guys gets up to help gather some wood. And you're like, oh man, what a nice guy. And then he puts some wood on the fire. And all of a sudden this snake comes shooting out and bites him on the hand. And you're like, oh, God must hate you, <laughs> right? Like that's, that's horrible. Um, so I, I, I don't want to push away from them. We got we to gotta lean into this a little bit. Because... What they do, assigning a reason for uh, someone going through something, Christians, listen, we do this too. Matter of fact, Christians, for some reason, we are terrible at this. We, we seem drawn to wanting to assign reasons for what people are going through. We, and I don't know why we should. We should be the best at this. We should be the best at not like kicking people while they're down. We should be. We should, we should have the most empathy. We should be the most humble when we see someone else going through something. We should be, but for some reason we don't. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just we think we have some deeper spiritual insight than other people. You know, we, can, we have those spiritual eyes that can see reasons that other people can't see. I don't know what it is, but we should not. We should not be this way. Mm. Her man wouldn't have left her if she wouldn't have treated him so bad, right? Those kids, they wouldn't have rebelled if they'd have been just a little bit better parents, Right? Ooh, that financial situation they're in, if they had handled their finances the way God told them to, they wouldn't be going through that, right? They wouldn't be experiencing that if they had a little bit more faith. They wouldn't be going through that if they were just a little bit more obedient. That's the kind of stuff that, that happens in Christian circles. That's, and that's crazy. You know who we sound like? We sound like Job's friends. 
Do you know, do you know about Job? You know about Job? So, so if you don't know who Job is, Job is this Old Testament book of the Bible. There's 60 chapters in this book. It's about this guy named Job. His whole life just fell apart. Everything went wrong for Job. All the people closest to him died except for his wife. And that was not a gift from God. She was an awful, awful person. And, and that was a part of the curse is that she lived. I, I kid you not, I'm not, that's not like a bad, I love you. Um, it's not a wife joke. That's a specifically Job's wife was horrible. And then he also had all kinds of physical problems. Job had like everything happened to you that can happen to you. And then his friends show up and, uh, at first, this is a really cool little detail in the beginning of the book. They just sit with him. That's the first thing that they do. They just kind of sit down and they're just with him. And that's a really cool little detail. But then they make the mistake of opening up their mouths and they start speaking and, and it's, it, it gets worse from there. So um, Job is complaining and basically their, their message to Job is, hey, um, so what did you do? that made God allow this to happen to you. That's their whole message. Why did God allow us? You must've done something, dude. So we're talking 60 chapters. This is not a short book in the Bible. 60 chapters of Job complaining and his friends saying, but what'd you do though? <laughs> like that's, that's all they, they kind of come back with in this back and forth. Um, and, but here's the deal. We kind of do that. We kind of do that. We're just like Job's friends. We feel compelled to assign reasons people are going through what they're going through. But, but listen, I, in case you didn't know, we're not supposed to be like Job's friends. That's actually not what we're supposed to do. Um, one of the messages of the book of Job is to not be like his friends. That's actually a part of it. So if you find yourself reading the book of Job going, these guys have some good points. You've messed up. That's wrong. That's not the, not the way you're supposed to read it. God at the end of the book says, hey, you guys are wrong and unhelpful. Shut up. That's essentially the message uh, in the book of Job. But what's, I think what's most ironic about it for us as Christians, and maybe ironic, maybe it's just horrible. I don't know if it's ironic or not, but um, is that we feel confident in assigning reasons to what someone else is going through while simultaneously not having any idea why we're going through what we're going through. Isn't that weird? That we, we're like an expert from a distance. We can loft the grenade over the fence into our neighbor's yard and tell them all the reasons that God's allowed these things to happen to them in their life, but we, we can't figure out our own stuff. We have no idea why stuff happens to us. And that makes note that there's some serious cognitive dissonance to be able to say, I'm an expert on you, but I can't even figure me out. Like that's crazy. And again, I would think we would have enough self-awareness to know that if we can't even figure out why we're going through what we're going through, how dare us try and assign reasons to why someone else is going through something. So here's what I want to do. I want to give three, three things um, for if you have somebody in your life who's going through a wilderness. Three things, okay? Uh, here's the first one. Don't gossip. Don't gossip. If you've got somebody in your life who's going through it, man, they, they're in the wilderness, things just aren't going right, um, don't gossip. In other words, shut up. Shut up. That's my pastoral way of saying it. Shut up. Shut your mouth. I mean, can we... Is there anything more like slimy and unloving than indulging and in talking about someone when they're, they got a proverbial snake attached to their hand right now? Is there anything worse than that? 
I mean, the Bible is so explicit about this. Like if, we, if we're ever wondering in a situation, what should I do with this? Like the Bible explicitly, like 100% condemns gossip. All the, it, it, it talks about gossip in the worst way. It's bad for you. It's bad for the person listening. It's bad for the person you're talking about. It's bad all the way around. There's nothing good about it. Shut up. Shut up. I hope you hear my, my, my voice in your head next time you're tempted. Shut up. Shut up. All right, now. Gosh, I was... You guys know that like first service and second service basically get different sermons, right? Do you know that? Like I, it's not on purpose fully, but there are less people in, in the first service. So I always feel like more comfortable to be like more vulnerable with less, I don't know why. Like this is also on the internet. So I'm like, hi, people on the internet. Like three years later, you're watching this and you're gonna learn something about, I don't know, it's just weird. This is weird. I'm trying to decide how vulnerable I wanna be with you. Do it. You were in first service, you already know. Easy for you to say. <laughs> One of the reasons, I'll go first. This is, this is how it works here. This is a, I wanna, uh, I'll go first and I'll admit something and then you in your heart between you and Jesus have to admit it too because you totally do this. Cool? One of the reasons we gossip is because we actually enjoy it when somebody else is having a hard time sometimes. Not all the time. And not like 100% enjoyment. But there's a little piece of us somewhere down in here that you actually enjoy it when certain people are going through things. You do. And, and I, like I said, I'll, I'll go for it. Like I, I've done this. I, we, <laughs> when me and Jonathan have conversations about other churches, ooh, they're struggling. <laughs> I'm not smiling. <laughs> like that's so, that's so jacked up. Why does God not kill me on the spot? I don't know. Um, it's his grace and mercy in my life. But we do this, right? You, you have that, again, now listen, maybe, maybe, I don't know what level of self-awareness you have, but if you were really, really honest, there's a little piece of you that enjoys it when certain people have a bad time. You feel good when, they're, when they feel bad. Um, and that is part of the reason this is a thing, right? Otherwise, what, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't gossip. You wouldn't have, you would, there's no enjoyment in that unless there's enjoyment in that. So for me... I'm insisting that you're in this with me. <laughs> Some of you are like, look at me like, you are a horrible person. I'm never coming back to this church. Um, for me, the redeeming part of this now that as I've realized like, ooh, that's ugly. Like that's an ugly part of my, of my heart that I don't, I don't want to have that. Um, I've, I've kind of used those times where I feel drawn to that as an opportunity to pray about what's going on in my heart. You know, those David prayers where David said, um, search me and know my anxious thoughts. He's basically asking God to tell him something about himself that he doesn't know. Like I, I use, when I'm drawn to, to be happy when someone else is sad, um, I use this as an opportunity to pray about that. Like, Lord, that is an ugly part of my heart. I don't know why that's there. I don't know what's going on there, but I need you to do some surgery here because this is, this is messed up. I'm a pastor and I probably shouldn't do that. Um, you're supposed to laugh, whatever. You guys are jerks. Feel the judgment. I'm going to add a fourth thing. Stop judging. Stop. Actually, I wonder, by the way, this is a... Nope, don't have time. I'm going to go straight. We're not going to turn. I'm just going to leave the judging thing as a joke, even though it's probably not. All right. Uh, that's the first thing. Don't gossip. Shut up. If you've got somebody in your life who's going through it, don't gossip. You need to quit. Two, help where you can. Help where you can. Um, 
that one of the funny parts of the story, it's not funny, it's in verse six. We'll get to verse six in a minute. Um, but it says that the people waited for him to swell up and die. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like that's, that's like awful, but you have to kind of laugh about it. Like they, they watched the snake attach itself to his hand. They know what that meant because it was venomous, not poisonous. And it was going to kill him. So they're like, watching to see what's going to happen to this guy. They don't try to help. They don't run and go get him like a bandage. They don't run and go get him like a doctor or medicine or whatever version of that they might've had in those days. They just sit there and watch him. And uh, that is not what we're called to do is Christianity is not a spectator sport, by the way. We're not supposed to grab the popcorn and gawk at people as they struggle um, we, are, we are called to help where we can, help where we can. Um, Galatians says that we should carry each other's burdens, right? So we're supposed to each carry our own load. That's the part that we can carry on our own. But every once in a while, we're in a season where the load becomes a burden and our legs start to shake underneath the weight of it. And as Christians, when we see somebody else going through something that their legs are starting to shake and they're about to crumble, we're supposed to get our shoulder up under that thing and help them carry it. We're called to do that. Not stand by and watch and be like, man, that looks heavy, dude. Like that's not the way that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to help where we can. Now, let me, let me tell you one of the things that happens with me um, when I see people carrying burdens that are too heavy for them. I, I see a ton of people experiencing stuff like that. Like lots of people having burdens. And what catches me is, uh, well, it's... <clears throat> It's my, it's my teacher's fault growing up, and maybe you had this too. Uh, there's this thing the teachers used to say, um, and I guarantee you experienced it too. Um, if you had a piece of candy and you like got it out in class, what would your teacher say to you? Do, do you have enough for everyone, right? When they say that, do you have enough for everyone? As if that was like the definitive point, like put it away, because if you don't have enough for everyone, you're not allowed to have that yourself. Well, here's the deal. That, by the way, just side note, sorry, teachers, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> if, if you don't have enough for everyone, you can't have it yourself. Like, but what has happened is it kind of sinks into your brain. So when you see a bunch of people carrying burdens, what you think is, well, if I can't help everyone, then I shouldn't help anyone. And you kind of recoil from that, right? Isn't that weird? Like that's moral. Like that's, uh, this is the right thing to do. My, my first grade teacher said, <laughs> if I can't help everyone, I shouldn't help anyone. She didn't say that. And that's not what Jesus wants you to do. So here's, uh, it's actually kind of an Andy Stanleyism. If you know who he is, he's a preacher down in Georgia. Um, he says this, do for one what you wish you could do for all. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. So instead of doing that thing where you get kind of overwhelmed with the people carrying burdens in your life, instead of doing that, pick one. Prayerfully pick one. If you need to pray about it, pray about it. Pick one and do for them what you wish you could do for all of them. And just, just allow God to work through you in their life. Help where you can. Help carry that burden. Don't gossip. Help where you can. Third thing that you need to do if you have people in your life walking through a wilderness, uh, we need to learn a good lesson from Job's friends uh, that's that first thing that they did when they showed up in Job's life is they were just with him. So we need to remember the power of presence. Remember the power of presence. When you have somebody going through the wilderness, sometimes they just need you to be there. They just need you to be there. They need you to show up, be with them, invite them over. 
they need an active friend, not a passive friend. You know what, you know the difference? A passive friend is like, hey, my door's always open. Cool, man. <laughs> I'm never gonna come over, just so you know. <laughs> if you tell me the door's always open, I promise I'm never walking through it because that's just not the way I operate. I imagine most people aren't that way. We don't need, when you're in a wilderness, you don't need passive friends. You need active friends. You need a friend who calls you and says, I'm on my way over. Not I'm coming over later, but I'm actually at your front door maybe, right? With, with some kind of food that you need to eat, right? Like you need somebody to actively kind of invade your life. And that's the kind of friend that you need to be. If you've got somebody in the wilderness, they just need you. They don't need you to fix it. They just need you to be there. They don't need your insight or wisdom. And that's another thing that can catch you on this one where you're kind of talking yourself out of making that phone call or making that text or, or driving over to the house is because you're worried that you don't have any advice for the situation they're in. They might not need it. They might just need you. They just need you to be with them. Might not be able to fix it, but you can give the gift of your presence. So if you've got people in a wilderness experience in your life, shut up, don't gossip about them. <laughs> Help wherever you can and just be with them. All right, we got to flip it. We got to flip it. Let's talk about it from Paul's perspective. That was the Islanders. That's the ugly part. That's the part I didn't really want to preach because I don't like to talk about that because we're all good Christians. We totally don't do any of the things I just preached about. We're good, right? We're all good. But we do experience wilderness, right? So here's Paul. Again, put yourself in Paul's shoes. He's cold. He's wet. He's hungry. He's got a snake attached to his hand now. And now we got people talking. We got people whispering about why he's going through what he's going through. So how should Paul respond in this? How should Paul respond in this? Here's the first thing. Let me give you three things from this perspective as well. Worry about your character. God will take care of your reputation. Worry about your character. God will take care of your reputation. Character is who you are. Reputation is who people think you are, right? Character is who you are. Reputation is who people think you are. You can control one of those, not both. You can control your choices. You can control your words. You can control your attitudes, but you cannot control what Nancy thinks about you, okay? Nancy's going to think what Nancy's going to think. You can't control that. Sorry, Nance. Do we have any Nance? I'm sorry. No, don't. Don't raise your hand. It's weird now. We always pick on Karen, so I thought I'd pick on a different name. So, Nancy. She's mean. By the way, you have as many reputations as you have relationships. Do you realize that? Like this is, I just want to free somebody up today who, who carries this burden. Like you don't have one reputation. You have as many reputations as you have relationships. So that's a lot of people. That's a lot of reputations to worry about, right? So if, you're, if you spend your life managing that, I can't imagine how overwhelmed you must feel that, that you want to worry about what people think about. You want to worry about your reputation. Well, you have to worry about every single person. That's a lot. And maybe you feel overwhelmed by that. Maybe you're like, oh my gosh, this is just too much. Maybe you even get like some kind of level of anxiety worrying about what all these people think about you. But I want to say the reason it feels so overwhelming, the reason it, it feels like it's going to cause you anxiety is because you were never meant to carry that anyways. God actually says that you're supposed to live for an audience of one. He simplifies this real quick. He says, hey, care about what I think about you. In comparison to that, you shouldn't care at all what other people think in comparison to. You live for God. You care about what God thinks about you. By the way, look at what Paul does. Verse five, look at what Paul does. Um, but Paul shook off the snake 
into the fire and was unharmed. So Paul had uh, the spirit of Taylor Swift come over him and he shook, shook, shook it off uh, into the fire and he didn't say anything. He didn't, he didn't run up and be like, what are you boys talking about? Like he didn't defend himself. He didn't jump to his own defense. He just shook it off and went about his business because Paul cared more about what God thought about him than what, what these guys thought about him. Paul lived for, for that. Then, okay, so this is the crazy part. So, man, if, if you struggle with what people think about you, just look at this. Look at verse six. Look what happens. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. Awesome. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. How crazy is that? So they go, they go from dude must be a murderer to dude must be a god in like 0.2 seconds, right? This is why you can't put your trust in people. This is why you can't find your self-worth in what people think about you because it will change before you blink. Um, my, my mentor used to, he, he, I was going to say he used to say this. He still says this to me because I have not grown past it. Um, he said, uh, hey, Adam, if you find your self-worth in, your, in the attendance uh, of your church, that your, your self-worth is going to go up and down whether or not it snows, right? <laughs> actually, well done, because this is actually not too bad. I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy. I'm totally not finding my self-worth in that. Um, but the same thing's true if you're going to find your self-worth in what other people think about you, you're going to be riding a wild roller coaster, right? They, they can change their opinion about you from moment to moment. God never intended for you to live like that. He intended for you to be anchored to what he thinks about you, not what other people think about you. That is supposed to be the thing. So can I tell you, like, that if you could really grasp this, and this is one of those thoughts that's kind of slippery, like you get a hold of it and then it gets away from you. But man, if you could, if you could anchor your soul in this idea that the creator of the universe loves you, like that's a wild fact that the one who sits on the highest throne in the highest court in the highest kingdom loves you. The one who breathed out stars, the one who created everything looks down on you and says, I love you. That, that should... <laughs> That should blow you away to the point that you don't care what Nancy thinks anymore, right? That doesn't matter anymore in comparison to what the God of the universe thinks. And then on top of that, not only does he love you, but he loves you so much that he came down to earth and he died for you. That, that he sees that you're a little jacked up. He sees that you are a sinner and that you need a savior. And that he came to take your sin onto himself and give you his goodness, his righteousness. He loves you that much because he wants to you to be forgiven and, and have a relationship with him and have a future home in heaven. He wants all that for you. That's what God thinks about you. He loves you in spite of the fact that you're jacked up. Not enough people said amen to that. So, is that the first thing? Oh my gosh. I'm looking for, is Jen, is Jen Langos in the room? Is she going to kill me? Cause we're going over today. I'm like, she's serving. Okay. <laughs> right. Number two. Uh, you know what? We're skipping two. We're skipping two. <laughs> I mean, look, we got to skip two for real. She, she's scary, man. She's like five foot nothing, but she doesn't want us to go over. It's true. All right. So here's the second thing. And I'll just, um, it's a little counterintuitive, but if, you, if you're going through it, if you're in the wilderness and people start, people start chatting, people start talking about you, people start shooting, shooting arrows at you, people start having opinions, people start having reasons for why you're going through what you're going through and they're not nice reasons, um, here's what I think 
you should do, you should pray for them. You should pray for them. And I know if you're in a wilderness right now, you almost want to yell at me and be like, dude, I am in a wilderness. I need people to pray for me. I'm barely making it right now, man. How dare you tell me I got to pray for other people? I get it. I get it. But I, man, I can't tell you how powerful those prayers are when you turn around and you pray for somebody who's shooting arrows at you. I can't tell you what God does with those kind of prayers. The prayers, I, I, I tell you, the most powerful prayers in my life have been the ones that I didn't want to pray, that I knew that that's what God wanted me to do, but it, uh, I didn't want to at all, but I did it anyways. Man, he works in that. I have this list on my phone. <laughs> I don't know, I've talked about this three, week, three times this week. God must be doing something with this list. I need to pull it back out again. I have this list on my phone of people who over the past um, 11 years have left the church and hate my guts. I have an actual list. It's on the phone. You're not allowed to see it. Hope to never make it to that list. <laughs> um, it's not like every person because that would be a lot. It's like the bad ones. You know what I'm saying? Like the ones that leave an impression on you or more, more accurate, like a scar. I got people, man, in my past who have done, done a number on me and um, I take the list out every once in a while. And it's crazy because I've, I've had this list for a long time. And um, because I have forced myself to pray for them, the way I feel when I pull the list out has changed over the years. I kid you not, this is crazy. It's like a, it's like a half a decade long experiment. And it took that long. I'm not gonna lie to you. I used to pull that list out and like my adrenaline would start pumping. I'd get, I'd get angry. I could get myself angry. I used to pull it out when I was lifting weights because you can actually lift heavier when you're angry. That's so jacked up, but I did. Um, but now, here's the crazy part. But now over the course, and when I say pray for them, I know what you think. You, you think I'm, I'm praying thunder and lightning down from heaven, like Lord, get them. Um, and that was what I used to pray. But now I have turned the corner and I actually try to pray for their good, for their good. And over the course of years, God has shifted and I don't get all jacked up when I read that list anymore. God has worked in my heart. It took a long time. I'm stubborn and I'm slow and it took half a decade, but he's done something with that. And I know, again, what you're thinking, like the people that you have in your mind, you're going through a wilderness and they're, they're making it worse. They're cruel, they're wrong. I don't wanna pray for them. Uh, let me show you my, my least favorite C.S. Lewis quote. Uh, he says this, if they are wrong, they need your prayers all the more. And if they are your enemies, then you are under orders to pray for them. Orders. Orders come from Jesus, by the way. <laughs> Jesus said, he commanded, pray for your enemies. And by the way, he didn't just command it. He practiced it. This is the, our, our savior is the one who, while they were clubbing spikes into his hands, prayed, father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. Jesus did that. And he wants us, he wants to invite us into that kind of love in our life for even the people who we would consider our worst enemies that we pray for them. We pray for them. I feel like there has never been a time in my life where I've been like closer to Jesus than when I've leaned into that. So pray for them. All right, I wanna end with this. Worship team, why don't you guys come up here? Uh, it's a poem, it's, it's anonymous. I hate that it's anonymous. I'm gonna give somebody credit for this. It's one of my favorite poems for the first 
probably five years of ministry, I, I, I read this often. Here's what it says. Stick with your work. Do not flinch because the lion roars. Do not stop to stone the devil's dogs. Do not fool away your time chasing the devil's rabbits. Do your work. Let liars lie. Let sectarians quarrel. Let critics malign. Let enemies accuse. Let the devil do his worst. But see to it that nothing hinders you from fulfilling with joy the work that God has given you to do. He has not commanded you to be admired or esteemed. He has never bidden you to defend your character. He has not set out you uh, to work to contradict falsehood about yourself, which Satan or God's servants may start to peddle, or to track down every rumor that threatens your reputation. If you do these things, you will do nothing else. You will be at work for yourself and not for the Lord. Keep at your work. Let your aim be as steady as a star. You may be assaulted, wrong, insulted, slandered, wounded and rejected, misunderstood, or assigned impure motives. You may be abused by foes, forsaken by friends, and despised and rejected of men, but see to it with steadfast determination and unfaltering zeal that you pursue the great purpose of your life and the object of your being until at last you can say, I have finished the work which thou has gave me to do. End of the story. Paul shakes that snake off into the fire. People start talking, blah, 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 blah. Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't respond. Paul gets invited to this guy's house who's on the island. His name's Publius. Here's what happens. Verse eight. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went and prayed for him and laying his hands on him, he healed him. The crazy part is, I love the Bible's detail. I love the way Luke, Luke's doctor who wrote this, by the way, is hilarious because Luke's a doctor. <laughs> He's probably the one who tried to help Paul. <laughs> he should have known it was venomous. Anyways, two verses previous, Paul had a snake attached to his hand. And then God's using that same hand to lay on somebody to heal them. And for me, what a detail to see that God uses those things that hurt. God uses those wounds. God can use that to help somebody else. If you don't screw it up, if you don't get caught up in all the noise, if you don't get caught, can you imagine if Paul would have engaged in a fight with them? If Paul would have said, look, screw you guys. I would have, he, he would have ruined it. But instead he stayed true to who he was. He worried about uh, what God thought about him. And he, he didn't engage in that. He didn't get distracted by that. And God used that. So if you're going through it, if you're in that wilderness, man, that, that's the place from which God can use you now to help others. Don't blow it. Don't blow it. Stand up and pray with me. Jesus, we thank you so much. I pray for the person right now who's going through it, Lord. They're in the wilderness right now and they've got, maybe they've got some people chirping at them, Lord. I pray that you would, like your, your special presence would be felt in their heart right now. That they would take this, this time, this song, and they would lean into you with how much you love them and how much you want to, you just want to invite them into your presence, Lord, and your love and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.